Hello, this is Mr. Galley from GCSE English Revision Pod with a quick message for you. If you want even more English Revision Pod in your ears, you can now subscribe to our premium service, GCSE English Revision Pod Plus, where for the price of just over £2 a month, on top of all the amazing free episodes, which will continue to be free and there for you to use, you can also get a selection of amazing bonus episodes on things like Macbeth, A Christmas Carol, Romeo and Juliet, and all your favourite topics covered in the depth and detail that you are used to. If you are interested in getting even more GCSE English Revision Pod, all you've got to do is click the link at the top of this episode description, where you can subscribe to GCSE. English Revision Pod Plus. Hello and welcome to GCSC English Revision Pods. Uh, Happy New Year. Welcome to 2020, to a new decade, to a lot of you to your GCSC year, of course. So we are going to try and provide you with as many podcasts as we can to help with those upcoming exams. Today, we are focusing on a text that involves the uh, Duplicity and duality of man, the fact that within each of us uh, lies two different sides to ourselves, uh, a potion that unlocks them. We are, of course, talking about Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. No. Of course we're not. We are talking about Robert Louis Stevenson's classic novel, Jekyll and Hyde. And where are we going to be going with that today, Mr. Forster? Yeah, I mean, well, just to contextualise what we're doing, we've already done episodes on um, Hyde as a dangerous outsider. Um, on the importance of place and on Mr. Utterson. And I had a few of my old class um, before I moved schools were quite worried about some of the question on Lanyon, you know, looking at some of the minor questions. So I thought it'd be really worth looking at the looking at Lanyon as a, as a character question. Absolutely. And Lanyon is a great example because as with any question in this novella, you don't end up just talking about Lanyon. You end up talking about Lanyon's relationship with Mr. Hyde and Dr. Jekyll. And I think that is a very, very important thing to keep in mind. Whenever you are approaching Jekyll and Hyde, you are almost always going to end up talking about either Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde. And if you talk about Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde, Mr. Forster, what must you do? Always talk about the fact that they are the same. They are the same and talk about their alter ego as well. So So let's get straight into it. Yeah, so the extract scene from chapter nine, where Hyde visits Lanyon. So actually, just I mean, just to be clear, um, dear listener, this is obviously uh, the epistolary section of the novel. What does epistolary mean, Mr. Galley? This is when we are basically finding out what happened, right? We are reading the letters which yeah. have been left to us by dead characters in the play and learning... Not a play, it's a novella. A novella, sorry, and learning what all these mysteries that have been set up, all of this Victorian Gothic confusion has been leading to. Yeah, so this is an incredibly important moment because it's the moments before um, we find out the truth about Jekyll and Hyde and the fact that they are the same. So the question is, um, the extract if you haven't downloaded the handout yet, please go and download that from the, the bio of the episode. Absolutely. Go there now. Click back on your podcast app. If you click underneath the play button, there will be a description of this episode. And in that description, there is a link to a handout which will help you. We'll give you all the key vocabulary and give you the question we're working from and the analysis we're going to be talking about. So go, go, go. Do that now. Welcome back. And welcome back. So the question is, how does Stevenson present the relationship between Dr. Jekyll or Hyde and Dr. Lanyon? 
Yeah, and that is quite a tricky question. Initially, you might see that and be a little bit panicked that that's the one that has come up. But actually, I think there is a huge amount to say about this. And particularly if you look at the extract, which Mr. Forster has um, kindly highlighted for you as well, you will see that this is the moment where Hyde is tempting Lanyon. He's almost saying, do you want to know? Do you like Eve being tempted in the Garden of Eden with the apple from the tree of knowledge? Do you want to know the answers to these terrible questions that have been plaguing you? And obviously Lanyon here kind of functions as the surrogate reader. Um, you know, he stands in for us because this is, whilst being a gothic novel, it's also very much a mystery novel. And, and, and we the, want to know, right? We, want, we to know. want to know the answers to these questions. Who is Mr. Hyde? So Who if we look he? at our, our thesis statement, in Stevenson's 1886 novella, Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Lanyon is characterised as a foil to the eponymous doctor, representing a more ethical and moral approach to science. Their relationship, therefore, ultimately comes to allegorically represent wider fin de debates about the place and role of science in a world where religion was losing significance. Well, I think you need to unpick that last bit a little bit. What's a fin de so fin de siècle is literally a fancy way of saying end of the century. Um, so and famously, it refers to the end of the 19th century. So um, and the reason I mention that is because it's often it's also a period in in literature, um, uh, which where where the kind of the end of the Gothic period. So it's uh, it's a, yeah. Um, so the, there were lots of debates in this fin de siècle period coming from Charles Darwin's writing about, um, on the origin of species in the mm-hmm. mid 19th century, um, coming from the Age of Enlightenment, which is, you know, the time of scientific advancement through the 18th and 19th centuries. And so we're exploring, therefore, in this essay, how Lanyon and Jekyll represent two different approaches to science that are kind of filling yeah. the vacuum left by by religion. Right. So Lanyon is presented as a character who, while he is a man of science, he also respects the limits of science. Right. He's seen as perhaps a more traditional character, one who acknowledges the power of silence, but also is a little bit scared of science. Right. Is a little bit wary of taking it too far, whereas Jekyll is seen as someone who is so intoxicated and excited by the power of science that he sees Lanyon as weak and he sees that the logical thing to do is to take science as far as you can possibly take it yeah, yeah. the great AO3 comparison would be with the earlier novel by Mary Shelley Frankenstein with with Dr Frankenstein is that these kind of represent people who push the push the limits of human understanding and push the limits of human morality so the mm. idea of Lanyon as a foil to Jekyll is going to be at the heart of our essay because a foil is of course two characters are deliberately juxtaposed representing different sides perhaps to a debate to reflect like a piece of foil to reflect the opposite of the um of the other character like mercutio and romeo as we've talked about in earlier podcasts so in paragraph one i think we always start off by looking at the extract in an extract question it's a logical place to start your essay Um, and generally in a 45 minute essay you've probably got about enough time for maybe three possibly four paragraphs plus an introduction and conclusion so it makes sense to start by looking at the extract so our first thesis statement is in the extract taken from the penultimate chapter Lanyon is presented as a foil to Jekyll with Stevenson presenting Hyde as a satanic figure trying to tempt him to evil with the promise of a seemingly supernatural knowledge fantastic right so Lanyon is this character who's faced with a decision and Hyde is enjoying this moment isn't he he's enjoying the power that he has because he knows that the knowledge 
that he has will destroy Lanyon, but he also knows that Lanyon is not going to be able to turn down this opportunity, yeah? Yeah, and I think if we look at some of the metaphors here, because it's often often the easiest things to analyse are metaphors, there's some quite yeah. interesting ones that tell us quite a lot about this relationship. So the first one is the figurative idea of, 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 of actually um, Jekyll's knowledge being a new province that can transport mm. Lanyon to a new world of ideas and science beyond his narrow and material views. So this so, is quite... Sorry, I do apologise. So he's almost saying that this knowledge will transport him physically to a new, brave new world, a new place where he won't be limited by his own small mindedness. Yeah, it's drawing upon metaphors of exploration of um of you know making him an explorer not simply a scientist but an explorer finding new places beyond the imagination of other sciences scientists yes and the idea of of lanyon as being narrow and material is a deliberate juxtaposition between the two narrow suggesting that he's close-minded limited unable to see the bigger picture um the idea of his views being material being you know fundamentally grounded in the physical world whilst implying that jekyll has moved beyond this his science is therefore more advanced it's taken him to places that other fantasy equa sciences couldn't scientists couldn't dream of right exactly he's almost drunk on the power even though ironically it's his own his knowledge jekyll's knowledge has led to his own destruction as in that mr hyde will eventually consume and destroy him he's still reveling or hyde particularly is delighting and reveling in this new knowledge and this new frontier that he's driven forwards and i think what's so interesting also here is that in a novel where, where religion is surprisingly absent the imagery is saturated with religious connotations so right. he talks about how lanyon on seeing him transform from hyde to jekyll will be your sight shall be blasted by a prodigy to stagger the unbelief of satan mm -hmm. you know the suggestion here is that you know that, that actually he's inverting this relationship between between um, belief and God by by implying that he is like a God because in this comparison he is not Satan actually in this comparison Lanyon is Satan and he is God um, mm. and actually the ver the violent verb blasted implies that this knowledge is going to harm him that Jekyll is somehow omnipotent like God he's all powerful he you know he like God thrusts Satan out of heaven um, you know for not believing in him is going to thrust Lanyon out of this new scientific heaven that he's created you know his his power his knowledge is you know is, is 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 making him into a divine figure is what he seemed to be arguing here yeah that science has taken him beyond and made him something even greater than the divine perhaps and then you've got this point about the irony which is that actually jekyll is talking about the where, where there's an irony is that he's actually representing the story of the garden of eden yeah, well, in the sense that that Jekyll is comparing himself to God, while at the same time taking on the role of the serpent in the in, the, in that story from the biblical story of Genesis, because he is tempting Lanyon with knowledge that goes beyond what would have been deemed natural by Victorian readers. So actually, you know, just you like mean, the, sorry, you mean Hyde is doing this at this point? Yeah. So Hyde, yeah. Uh, Hyde is Hyde is um, although he's comparing himself to God, is actually taking on the role of the serpent in the Garden of Eden. Eden yes. Tempting Lanyon towards this knowledge that is unnatural, that will harm him, that will send him out of paradise. Absolutely. Or kill him. Right. Fantastic. So, paragraph two, having argued in paragraph one that Lanyon is the, the, the more measured, the more good 
side of Jekyll and of course in this particular instance the Hyde part of Jekyll and is tempted by him we would then move on to talking about um, that there was this friendship between Jekyll and Lanyon that before all of this stuff with Hyde happened the two men were indeed friends yeah, I think it's a really important point because uh, the, the topic sense I said, however, it's important to note that early on in the novel, Stevenson makes Jekyll and Lanyon friends, suggesting that they are not that different beyond a minor scientific dis- disagreement. Right. So perhaps the role of Lanyon is to highlight how beliefs, particularly scientific beliefs, are more powerful, perhaps, than just relationships, that they can come overpower friendships, that in this new world of science, people are... these new learnings and these new beliefs are very, very powerful and they are powerful enough to drive people apart. But also the idea that actually, um, even before he transformed into Hyde, um, Jekyll was the same man because a crucial part of this novel is actually that that Hyde is not, Hyde is a part of Jekyll. Um, The drug does not bring an evil side into him. It simply reveals to the world that part of, of, of Jekyll's psyche that he'd repressed, that he'd hidden from society. It, it lets people see that evil in this physical manifestation of his evil. So actually, I think their friendship so important here because it shows just it, it kind of undermines this theory of physiognomy. That is the belief that um, evil people, as Cesare Lombroso, the um, criminologist, argued at this time, um, you could see their evil in their face. This is undermining that. It's, it's implying that that Jekyll's evil side, his his ambitious nature, his kind of hidden foul desires were totally were hidden um, behind a well-made, smooth-faced man, as described mm. in chapter three, a man who has every mark of capacity and kindness. You know, yeah. That actually, there's a sense that actually Lanyon was totally unconscious of the, that he didn't know this man. And it's only on seeing Hyde that he realises um, who his friend really was all along. And that, I think, is the shock that kills him. And this mirrors Victorian fear, of course, doesn't it? This mirrors Victorian fear that you there could be evil hidden behind the nice veneer of polite, educated, upper-class society, particularly, of course, brought to, brought to um, light later by the sort of Jack the Ripper and this yeah. idea that, um, that he could have been a member of the aristocracy, he could have been an educated man who was committing these terrible deeds. Jekyll and Hyde as a novella almost preempts that fear, right? Yeah, and this is horrible. In chapter two, there's this ironic kind of simile that compares um, them to the Greek philosophers Damon and Pythias, whose friendship was so strong that actually Damon put up his life for Pythias as Baal. Um, so the irony is, of course, that Lanyon does die because of Jekyll, but not out of sacrifice, but out of shock and disgust. So it's showing, again, that the power of kind of 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 realising the truth, the danger of realising actually, you know, who someone really is, it can actually kill. And I think yeah. the metaphor that encapsulates the difference between them is actually in the final chapter, chapter 10. We learn that unlike Lanyon, who is as he seems, Hyde sees Jekyll as nothing more than a cavern in which he conceals himself from his pursuit. The idea, therefore, that, that this theory, it subverts this theory of physiognomy, as I said, that actually he seems no different from his peers. He seems to Lanyon, someone who is kind, who's, 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 who's well-made, who's part of what respected society. And yet, actually, like Robert Knox, like Declan Brody, like Jack the Ripper himself, um, who's thought to have been a surgeon, actually, criminality can be hidden. That actually, we, we don't necessarily know um, who 
is really that evil. Right. So first paragraph, we're talking about Lanyon being uh, presented as the opposite of Jekyll, who is tempted by Jekyll's alter ego, Hyde, and ultimately destroyed. And we see Lanyon as the more measured, the more um, conservative type of scientist who respects the power of science, unlike Jekyll, who wants to push it as far as he possibly can. Then in paragraph two, we explore the idea that their friendship was interesting, that actually the fact that they could have been friends shows us how the evil in us is actually often very well hidden, even from the people who know us very, very well. And ultimately, we see the difference between the two of them is that Lanyon is more as Lanyon presented himself, whereas Hyde is this monstrous part of Jekyll that comes out and doesn't even care for that version of Jekyll. This leads us then into paragraph three, right? Yeah, so looking actually, I think perhaps the ultimate difference is 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 their reactions towards Hyde. So Stevenson makes the difference between Jekyll and Lanyon most clear in their reactions towards Hyde. Whilst Jekyll is seduced by the bestial world that Hyde opens up for him, Lanyon is so shocked that he dies. So, so in chapter nine, Lanyon says that um, seeing Hyde, his soul sickened, his life was shaken to the roots. Um, interesting metaphors there. You know, the idea of this being a, a sickness, a pathogen, a disease that's fatally infected yeah. him, shaken to his roots. The idea and that he's, the very basis of his existence has been destroyed. If you think about a tree being held a, held uh, upright by its roots, your roots also being having connotations of where you come from, the thing that gives you identity. For these to be shaken, as you say, it is suggesting that the very thing that would hold you to your identity and your convictions is somehow being torn apart. And to listen, a really important thing to note here is that actually when analysing metaphors, it's really important you don't just say what the effect is. You say, how does it work? You say, so many marks available when students do that and students so often forget to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So um, by contrast, when Jekyll transforms into Hyde in chapter 10, he says that his sensations were indescribably new, incredibly sweet. He felt younger, lighter, happier in body. So disturbingly, this unnatural metamorphosis actually is something that's desirable, that criminality itself seems to imply here is, is, you know, seductive. And this ties in with later Freudian theories about the id, the ego and the superego, implying that kind of actually your most basic and primitive desires, which Freud called the id, are kind of are actually highly seductive. There's something that that you want, mm. um, uh, which is a terrifying idea. Well, it's, I mean, it goes, if you relate it to the Darwinian thing, humans needed those, in the Darwinian model, you needed those desires in order to survive, right? Because you needed to become the Spongy strongest, fittest. the most reproductive, the fittest, the all of these things. And that's, according to the Darwinian model, that is how humanity got to be where it is. So, of course, those desires must have been powerful, otherwise... We, w- we wouldn't have evolved as we did, presumably. Yeah, so there's an int- int- one more simile that I pick out on the sheet before we finish here is that um, Jekyll describes his desires for Hyde as running like a mill race. So you know, like the fast-flowing water powering a mill, his evil thoughts are just like unstoppable, powering his imagination. Mm. They're, this, they're, this, they're this world, they've opened up a world to him that he wants, whereas Lanyon, when he sees this world, is, is destroyed by it, is killed. Yeah. And therefore, you see the dangers of giving in to those desires or perhaps the danger. Another way of reading it is to suppress those desires completely, because part of what made Hyde so powerful is because Jekyll had lived a life where he didn't have recourse to 
let his desires out in any way, right? He he couldn't he he by putting up the constant image of respectability, these desires grew stronger in him. So perhaps what we're seeing is in a character like Jekyll, the 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 explosive nature of trying to suppress all of your human desires, right? Where someone like Lanyon is able to do this and live a happy and contented life, someone like Jekyll is not. Yeah, so I, I guess it's quite kind of a modern argument in that sense about actually the need to talk about your feelings and acknowledge what yeah. you're thinking, or else they'll kind of manifest themselves in these disturbing, eruptive, you know, force. Absolutely. I think, I mean, the first time I read this novel, I thought it had incredible parallels with it, particularly modern discourse around mental health and um, particularly male mental health. You know, the idea that men not talking about their feelings leads to often very, very negative consequences. I thought Robert Louis Stevenson shows an incredibly astute understanding of the human brain a long time before these sort of modern ideas um, about the different sections of the mind and all of that came along. So yeah, fascinating AO3 point to explore there. Yeah, and I think kind of then the final point for our conclusion really is just that Lanyon and Utterson don't actually seem that different from Jekyll until we find out this revelation that he is Hyde. So it's this kind yeah. of troubling, that's the troubling, That that's what was so troubling about this novel is that, you know, unlike earlier gothic novels where evil is portrayed as something external that breaks into the moral victorian world what's so disturbing about here is the sense that evil is lurking beneath the surface and even a relationship a friendship as close as lanyon and jekyll can you know even in that friendship you can still be unconscious of you know something that's truly evil that you're missing right in front of your eyes I think that's the most terrifying thing, isn't it? When you hear about monstrous people who've done, or people who've done sort of terrible, terrible things, what is perhaps most frightening about them is the nor is the normality of them and the the idea that you know someone who someone who has committed genocide or done some terrible crime against humanity, the fact that they could love their children is almost more frightening. Do you see what I mean? That idea that they could have some form of normality about them, i.e. Yeah. to have a family and still do these terrible things, that to me is more terrifying than just being able to think of them as this complete inhuman monster. Yeah, it's the idea that this inhuman monster might even be your English teacher. <laughs> <laughs> what a horrible, uh, horrible note to end that on. Right, well, thank you for joining us. And um, we hope, I think that was... A tricky topic and I hope we've simplified it a bit remember that when you're listening to these podcasts it's not essential that you grasp every little thing and fully follow every structural point that we're making or the structure of the whole essay you can just listen to these podcasts and take two or three ideas that you want to work with it doesn't require you to um grasp every single word that we say in order for these to be effective and to and to help you you can of course access all our other podcasts at the on your podcast app or if you go to englishrevisionpod.co.uk you can access all of our previous episodes all of the handouts we've created um and you can follow us on twitter at g revision pod where we will update you whenever we have new episodes coming out and that kind of thing anything else you want to add mr forster no, um, that's 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 the a lot. I think that's the that's the me of it. Right, happy twenty twenty, and we will be back with some new material very very soon. <laughs>